Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16. There are many, many theories of church growth. There are hundreds and hundreds of books on church growth. You can get uh, degrees and advanced degrees in uh, church growth. Various uh, schools uh, will focus upon that. And so as you can imagine, there's a, a big variance in terms of uh, views of that, and there's a, the whole spectrum of it. But let me give you the kind of the two ends, and uh, and understand that there are all those in between. Uh, the one end I would call the the pragmatist. They would not call themselves that. I'm not saying that to insult those who have chosen that view. I'm simply saying that it's a description of uh, where they're coming from with church growth. And basically, the pragmatist would say, look, whatever works, whatever it takes, we want to get the gospel out, whatever it takes to get people in the church, we will do it. No restraints. We will, we will attempt it if we think that will get more people uh, into uh, the church. We are counting nickels and noses, and that's how we will determine whether we have been successful or not. On the other end, I'm calling them the biblicist. Now, I didn't even know that was a word, and I decided, well, maybe I should look that up, and I'm going to use it in a different way than uh, the dictionary uh, uses it. But what I would say on this end are those who would say, absolutely, there are restraints. The restraints in terms of what we do in worship, what we do in the church, and the restraints have to do with what God has said, what the Bible has said. And so those are our parameters. We cannot expect the biblicist, I think, would say, we cannot expect God's blessing unless we do it God's way, and so that is our priority. Now, obviously, there are uh, those all the way in between, and those are very generic labels. And I want to say this, that though we would end up down toward this end, that doesn't mean they're the enemies. We've got friends all over the spectrum who are sincere, and we're on the same team, okay? So always remember that. We're on the same team as long as the gospel is at the core. Now, if people on either end or anywhere on the spectrum take the gospel out of the core, then we're not on the same team. But remember that in terms of there's going to be disagreements in this. Now, in the passage before us today, we have seen in uh, the book of Acts a lot of church growth, 
a lot of ways God is growing His church and advancing His kingdom. We have called this series uh, The Empowered Church. So obviously, the first and foremost factor is the work of the Spirit in the lives of individuals and in the church. But what we're going to see, I think, is, are some ways that God chooses to grow His church. So as I read this, uh, beginning in the first verse of Acts 16, I want you to try to pick out what, what kind of clues do we have in terms of what uh, God would say about how He uh, grows His church. It says this, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and uh, he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Remember, there was a council in Jerusalem. They had made decisions. So they're communicating that to the various uh, uh, churches and uh, uh, elders. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. It's a clue. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Father, will you show us your way? That's what we want. We want to follow you. 
and we want to do so in a way that is honoring to you and pleasing to you and therefore represents solid, real, godly growth. And so we ask for an understanding of this from your word, that your spirit would be our teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we need to understand right off the bat is in terms of blessing, and when I use the word uh, the, the church is blessed, I'm, gonna, I'm talking about good, biblical, solid growth. The church was blessed when the gospel was made clear. Start with that. When the gospel's made clear. Verse 4, um, and as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in numbers daily. There we see God's blessing. What had they done? What were they doing when they would go to the churches? Well, they were communicating what had been talked about in the council at Jerusalem where they clarified absolutely the gospel. What they said was, you know what? The gospel is not what you do. The gospel is what Christ did. That's it. But they clarified that because there were some that were muddying it up, that were adding things to the gospel like circumcision and and the law and, and those kinds of things. Back in Acts 15, verse 11, here is their declaration, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. And that's it. That's where they took their stand. They went to the mat over that issue. And they came out victorious because that's, that's God's message. And so they said, we've got to make sure that churches are not falling in to wrong teaching. So they went around to churches to strengthen them. And what happened? They, they, the, so the churches, it says, were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. The issue was the gospel. When we talk about growth, the issue is the gospel. Now, is there a danger in our day? I don't hear anyone saying we need to add circumcision or things like that uh, to the gospel. It's absolutely a danger in our day, not that particular issue. But those who are using the name of Christ and muddying up the gospel. And you can't tell, you can't tell God's blessing just by numbers. I'm not saying God can't bless and give numbers. But you cannot say if a church is growing... Obviously, that means they're preaching the truth. 
the Mormon church is growing. They do not believe the gospel of grace. There are some huge health and wealth gospel uh, churches. They obscure the gospel of grace by implying that if you come to Christ, if you follow Him, now they won't talk about sin, but if you follow Him, then He wants you wealthy and He wants you healthy. That's obscuring the gospel and obscuring the gospel is wrong. It puts them outside of the realm of, of Orthodox Christianity. And some churches are growing based on entertaining worship. Now look, I'm, I'm not talking about a style. We, we don't say that we've got the only right style here. We don't. God gives us a, a, a wide variety of ways. There are certain elements of worship we would say absolutely need to be there, but there are many styles that one can use in order to worship and do so biblically. What I'm talking about is content. Entertaining worship that waters down the gospel is dangerous. Because a watered-down gospel is not the gospel at all. I vividly remember one Sunday, not in this church, in a previous one, beginning my sermon with uh, the two evangelistic diagnostic questions. I use those all the time. I uh, always use them in the inquirer's class and sharing the gospel. I use them with many individuals. The, the two diagnostic questions, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? That's the first question. Then the second question, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? That's how I began my sermon. As soon as I finished the, the second question, a couple who were visiting in the back stood up and walked out. Now, I could tell by the look on their face, by their uh, expression, by their posture, by all of the other things, that it, it wasn't just a matter of, boy, I'm thirsty, or I've, I'm having co coughing issues, or anything like that. the very uh, movement toward the gospel for them was divisive. People will be offended by the gospel of grace. Now, that doesn't mean that we try to do it offensively. And had they stayed, they would have heard a, a wonderful message of truth that could impact eternity. But there will be people offended by the gospel of grace. We just need to know that. Now, another thing that God was pleased to use in growing the early church, in addition to uh, making sure that the gospel was made clear, 
was that the church was blessed as its servants were sensitive to the Spirit. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Paul was so determined to be sensitive to the Spirit of God that he was willing to change his plans. Uh, I'm not going to read again all of these verses, but in, in 6 through 13, let me just read you some phrases of what took place. I hope you heard it the first time, but verse uh, 6, it says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Holy Spirit forbade them to do that. Verse 7, it says, Um, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And then down in verse 9, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, granted, it's a little easier to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when you have a vision, when it's that obvious. But we see his ultimate desire was uh, following Christ. Verse 10 uh, it says, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to, into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they had plans to go one direction. They changed plans to go another direction. They set sail uh, and, and so on and continued into that area because God had called them. They sought and received God's guidance at every point of their missionary journey. They flexed and they changed their plans. Uh, This morning we mentioned about our teams that are getting ready to go out. Uh, I'm traveling with a a team to Ukraine in June. We have a team headed out to uh, Haiti, New York, West Virginia, and all those are just this summer. Now, they're all very different trips, but there's one thing that all of these trips have in common. I can promise you this, that they will make their plan, and then when they get there, they won't do what they had planned to do. Now, there may be some overlap, but as often as not, and that doesn't mean we don't plan. Absolutely, we plan. We say this is what we plan to do, but you've got to go there and be flexible. I recall uh, arriving in Karachi, Pakistan, one morning at 1 a.m. in the morning, and uh, somebody met me there. That's a long story too, but uh, but ultimately we're we're headed toward his house in this intense city where. By then, about 2 o'clock in the morning, there's still people everywhere going all directions. He's talking about how many murders have taken place and that kind of thing. Well, on the way there, he said, uh, and this was a Thursday, well, it was actually a Friday morning, and in, in that country, Christians worship on Friday because that's a day that it's okay to worship. And he said, uh, I would like for you to preach tomorrow night and also tomorrow morning. And that was fine. I said, I'd be glad to because, see, I had planned. I had brought uh, three or four sermons. I don't remember which it was, and a number of lessons and that kind of thing. And I said, okay, well, I will be glad to do that. And he said, and I would like you to preach on Christ the King. 
I said, Christ the King, huh? Now, you might think, well, couldn't you just squirrel it around a little bit and get to Christ the King out of most any sermon? But, you know, I, I got to his place. It's about 2.30 uh, in the morning, 3 o'clock, something like that. And I start looking through and I see, you know, I, I know I should have preached on Christ the King, but I didn't bring any Christ the King. And so I, rewrote a, I wrote a sermon that night on Christ the King. One of the opportunities, and that's one of the things that has really stretched me, and it stretches virtually everyone that goes on these trips. We Westerners on mission trips is the need to be flexible, to follow the Spirit, and to trust God, and not just trust our plans. And that's one of the things I remember about that trip where there were so many of those things. And that I promise to all those going on the trips this summer, those will be some of the very things that we will see when we don't just trust our plans, but we trust the guidance of the Spirit. Now, what about us here at home? Direction. You know, when you think about things like I just talked about, change, that can be one of the big challenges in a church. Any kind of change can be a a, a big challenge. In my several decades as a pastor, I have been the pastor in churches where there have been numerous changes, and there's there's several things that I've learned uh, through the years. One is that, in terms of principles of change, one is that change is loss, People feel loss when you change, even if it's a good change, because something is going to be different and they will feel some kind of loss. But also change for the sake, uh, well, change in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Uh, It'd be wrong to be against something just because it represents a change. In other words, any change, I'm going to dig in my heels. But it would also be wrong to be for something just because it's a change. Let's keep things shook up. Let's keep changing. You know, that's not not a good reason to change because change for the sake of change isn't right. Change needs to be under the power and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I have seen, you've probably seen this poster too, the seven last words of the church. We never did it this way before. (laughs) Now, I have to say, of all the churches that I have been the pastor of, the several churches I have, I think St. Andrew's handles change better than any of them. And I think it's not just because you know, we got a bunch of people that just love change. I mean, look around. Really? <laughs> you know? And yet, it has to do, I believe, to being willing to do what God is leading us to do. And that is the key because resistance to good change can lead not only to a decline in a church, it can lead to its demise. Now, just in case you're starting to worry 
I'm not introducing any change today. Some of you thought, well, he's building up something big here. Not at all. This is, this is what we see in a sensitivity in this passage of the Holy Spirit. By the way, how, how do we look at that? We've got our vision 2017. Here's what we say the, in terms of our, our mission. The mission and objectives that are included in this vision statement, we believe, are based squarely on the Scripture. Over the years, therefore, we expect them to stay fairly constant with minor revisions. But the application of Vision 2017 will change as we set, meet, and update goals, as we adjust to the current needs and demands of the day in order to be most effective. Therefore, we do not fear, but rather expect and welcome change as God leads us by His Spirit. That's when we're going to change. As God leads us by His Spirit. There's a third thing in in this passage, and that is that the church was blessed when God chose to work. And that's the key. And that's what we've always got to remember. Verse uh, 14. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord, here's the key, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's what we've got to remember. If we aren't careful, we miss how absolutely unique it is when God works in a person's life. We tend to think in in terms of groups of people and so on, especially when you you see the kind of growth that was going on in the book of Acts. But but here, here is, is one person, and think how unique she was. This is, uh, and this would only be engineered by God. You know, if you're going to go start a church in an area and grow a church, in this day, you wouldn't have gone and found a woman to be the first convert. But she was a successful businesswoman. Evidently the head of a household, either a widow or a single woman. That's a rare person. Apparently, no men were responding as they had been there a little while. Now, there's one other thing I want you to notice about this with with Lydia. If you remember, and you may not remember this, but back in verse 6, It says that Paul was forbidden. They were uh, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. It says they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, so if I were him, my conclusion would be, okay, the the Asians aren't going to get the word. God doesn't want us to for some reason, and he's being sensitive. So he follows the path that God would take him, and they go to Philippi, and the first person they really are able to reach is Lydia from Thyatira, which is Asia. 
Do you see what's happening here? They're, they're forbidden to go to Asia. He says, no, instead go over here. So they go over here, and he meets an Asian woman, and that's how the church is planted. That is the working of God. That's the engineering of God. God has his ways and his plans, and they are often, they are usually beyond our understanding. Paul was faithful in presenting the gospel. He was, he was pliable in where to go and in following the Lord, but ultimately it wasn't that that gave results. It was that the Lord opened her heart to respond. God brings revival where he will, when he will. He works when and where he will. Think again of our mission fields uh, where we focus in other parts of the world. We have Ukraine, Bulgaria, we have England, Haiti, we have works in Turkey, Spain, Germany, Africa. Of all of those, there is only one where if you were judging it by the amount of numbers, people outwardly coming to Christ, churches growing bigger and bigger, there's only one out of all those fields that you would say is being blessed, if that's how you were to judge it. Now, we ought not to, and that's Haiti. In all of those other fields, it is tough plowing. It takes months, years to build relationships and, and to see people come to Christ. And some of them, it's just a dream to see a church planted. Now, that doesn't mean we give up on them. Those people are where God wants them to be. Think about the prophets. They went through years, some of them decades. They were right where God wanted them to be. They were doing what God wanted them to do, and they were saying what God told them specifically to say, and some of them saw no results. And yet, that was God's way at that time. God works when and where and how he will, and his way is always right. Yesterday, um, we were opening our mail from, I think it was this week. <laughs> you know how that happens sometimes. Um, and Connie read something, and I said, well, this is what I'm talking about tomorrow. It's, uh, and she read it to me. It, it's from some, our friends at the Jesus Film Project. You may be familiar with the Jesus Film Listen to uh, their report, and this is a validated report by people you, you can trust. He says, I wish I could divulge the location where it happened, but security's too tight. Lives would be endangered. Let's just say you'd be astonished. A Jesus film team had taken a courageous step getting into a village in a dangerous mountainous area. They brought the, the DVD of the film, Jesus, they gathered about 250 people in the community hall. They plugged it in, and most of the people stayed there. When it came, uh, so, and they watched the film. When it came time for the team to give the invitation to receive Christ, which is another courageous act that could get them killed, 
a man sitting on the floor stood. He opened his shirt and turned around so all could see. Strapped to his chest were explosives, a suicide vest. Panic set in. Wait, wait, he said. Don't leave. I'm not going to blow myself up. I need to tell you what just happened. It says it took several minutes to convince the people to stay, and at last they... At last they did. I heard that you were going to show a blasphemous film. I went to my leaders. They all agreed you should die. I strapped this on this bomb and came to kill you all. They were in a small room, 250 people jammed in. When the film started, I reached for the detonator and tried to push the button. But as I watched the film, Jesus turned and pointed right at me. He called my name and said loudly, don't do that. Follow me. Over and over I tried. Every time I reached for the button, he pointed to me and said, don't do that, follow me. My hand froze every time. I couldn't move my thumb. I gave up and just stayed to watch. Now I believe. I want Jesus to be my Savior. Can you help me know about him? The team leader said, yes, of course, but first you must take off the vest. The, the would-be suicide bomber went away from the building, far from it, took it off, disarming the explosive. He returned, and the team prayed, but that's not all. Remember, this is an extremely dangerous area, one intensely hostile to Christianity. Anyone leaving their traditions can expect to be killed. The Word of God contained in this film had just spoken to the people. It was a powerful experience. They learned of the gospel. Further, the people were amazed by this man's testimony. He was a radical who would stop at nothing. They knew they had just seen a miracle. When the film team leader asked who wanted to receive Christ and pray, every one of them did, all of them. The next day, the team held a service where 250 new believers were baptized in their new faith, including the man with a suicide vest. Again, if I told you where this was, you would be astonished. God works where he will, when he will, the way he wants to. He saw a, a room full of people who were about to be destroyed, not by some individual, by the evil one, and he said, no, those are mine. And then he called them to himself. God works where he will, when he will, and in the way he will. Now we think of churches with rapid growth. By the way, I just inserted this this morning into my sermon and in my... Uh, uh, on my notes, I put, we think of churches exploding with growth, and I thought that wouldn't be a good thing to say here. <laughs> with rapid growth. And we see that the church in Acts was growing. And early on, we see 3,000 added here, 5,000 added here, people being added daily. But then here, in this passage, 
we really see the way that God usually works. One pliable servant, trusting in God, being sensitive to His Spirit, sharing the gospel of grace with one other person. That's how He usually works. He doesn't have to. He can call 250 at once. He can call 5,000 at once. He doesn't need us. He wants to use us. And when He does, when He uses people like us, weak people like us, some of you who are saying, oh, I don't have the credentials, I can't go talk about Christ. When He uses people like us, that's when He gets the glory, absolutely. Will you be His instrument? How about this summer? You know, currently at St. Andrews, we've got well over 300 family units. That represents a lot more people than that. But what if, what if every family unit just reached out to one person? Oh, you, you know, in one way that wouldn't be good because you'd probably lose your seat here. Because we'd have to start another service. And this one would be so full. What if we just became pliable servants, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, willing to do what He wants us to do? How much is His kingdom worth? It's not about pastors sharing with people. It's not about theologians or evangelists sharing with people. In fact, we tend to actually be less effective. Pastors tend to. And you know why. I've, t- I've told you why. It's the old thing that pre- preachers are paid to be good and you're good for nothing, you know. That's why. Because when you talk about Christ, people say they got nothing to gain except they're wanting to share something that they seem to think is important. I still think, to me, the best definition of evangelism of sharing the gospel is it's just one beggar who has found food showing other beggars where the food is. Every one of us in this room is qualified to be a beggar. And the Lord Jesus, by His Spirit, has offered us this food. Let's bow together. Oh, Lord, help us. Um, How good it is to see that it's about you working and not about our effectiveness. That's always the case. It always has been. And thank you that it always will be. But, Lord, help us to be sensitive to you, to have a clear picture of the gospel that we present, and then to be pliable servants and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.